Tonight, uh, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time being here with us with Challenge, I want to say welcome. God has something in mind for you to hear and apply tonight. We've been going through this series, Stand Out, which has looked at what the book of 1 Peter in the Bible has to say, has to tell us about living differently. The company Apple, their slogan used to be, think different. And why is that? It's because being an individual does appeal to us on a human level and especially on a collegiate level. I don't think anybody in this room wants to conform. We all want to stand out and you make, it, make a unique impact with our lives. Across a variety of topics, we've seen how the Bible and 1 Peter specifically beckons us not to just think different, but to be different. So tonight our subject for learning how to stand out is suffering. All right, it seems like an odd choice, but as, we're seeing, as we'll see in a second, the Bible has a lot to say about suffering and our attitude toward it. We're going to dive into this countercultural idea of embracing suffering while living in a way that glorifies God. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for every soul in this room tonight. We are not just bodies made of matter. We are souls that are in need of you. And I just pray, for, pray over each person here that you would do something in their hearts through your word tonight, through the message, through your spirit. And God, I claim no credit for whatever comes of the change of people's life tonight. I just want that to, to happen. It, it is so important to me uh, and to you, Lord, that we all just come away from here seeking growth, seeking to glorify you. And so I pray that that would, that would happen tonight. In your name, amen. First Peter chapter four, this is the, the chapter that I'm going to be speaking on. It starts by talking about suffering and it ends by talking about suffering. It's like a suffering sandwich to eat <laughs> the suffering sandwich. Ah, oh, there it is. <laughs> to eat the suffering sandwich is to willfully accept the truths found in this particular passage we're studying some of the truths are a little hard to swallow, but by the end of the night, I want to convince you not to just willfully consume the suffering sandwich, but to enjoy it. My life has not been filled with a great deal of suffering thus far, but I know that I will experience more as my life continues. I know that you'll experience more as your life continues. It's not a question of if you'll experience suffering. It's a question of how you'll respond to inevitable suffering. I've chosen to eat the suffering sandwich gladly, knowing that God's combined goodness and sovereignty are not going to rip me off. First, we need to start with the question, what is suffering? I'm going to be using that term a lot tonight, and we need to kind of know what that is, or what counts as suffering, right? Suffering as a follower of Christ falls into two main categories. First, the first and most obvious is persecution from others. Persecution from others. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Persecution from others takes a few different forms, right? For us, social harassment 
might be the most likely or common, you know, insults or harsh remarks or unwelcome teasing are examples of what I would call social har harassment. And the next stage of, stage of persecution, if you will, is uh, much less prominent where we live, but it's affliction, torture, or even martyrdom. Even these forms are described as possibilities in God's word for those that follow him. And the second category of suffering is painful circumstances. Painful circumstances. In life, we experience general emotional, physical, mental turmoil. And it's a part of the human experience. And what's interesting, though, is that in the Christian life, these painful circumstances are part of the suffering that we're called to endure. In some cases, we don't need to live in a harsh country in order to experience deep suffering for Christ. What's even more interesting is that God can take these painful sufferings, even ones delivered by the devil himself, and turn them into a powerful opportunity to strengthen our faith. Take what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Here we see that this, this negative, painful situation was given to Paul by the enemy. But in the same sentence, he says that it was to keep him from being conceited. Through the painful circumstance, God brought Paul to a deeper spiritual conclusion. John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, remarks on this thought. He says, the suffering of sickness and the suffering of persecution also have this in common. They both are intended by Satan for the destruction of our faith and governed by God for the purifying of our faith. This means that our response to suffering falls in line with either God's will or Satan's will. In light of these facts, we can see that whether our suffering is persecution from others or a painful circumstance, it is intended by God for our growth and his glory. Before I move on, I want to clarify what biblical suffering is not. Consequences of sin or foolishness. Later in 1 Peter chapter 4, the author has this to say, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. There are natural consequences that come from sin. There are natural consequences that come from stupid decisions. As we read on about suffering, the blessings and joy that come with it do not apply to these kind of consequences. You don't earn brownie points for suffering. That's your fault, <laughs> if it's your fault. So back to this, the sandwich. The first piece of, piece of bread in this passage is suffering with Jesus. I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to that metaphor. <laughs> suffering with Jesus. 
The first three verses of 1 Peter 4 say, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality, their lust, their feasting, drunkenness, and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. The first thing we need to understand is that suffering with Jesus starts with your relationship with Jesus. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Becoming a Christian means choosing to be crucified with Christ. Jesus, God's Son, paid the price for our sins in order to set us free from the bondage of sin. This was an act of unconditional, sacrificial love. This is where we begin. We accept this new life that we've been given and live by faith, but it comes at a cost and that is death to ourselves. That's what it means to be crucified with Christ. It means abandoning your own desires and being finished with sin. We suffer because Jesus suffered. First Corinthians 11, one says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. This is what I mean by suffering with Jesus. We imitate him. We live the way he did. Why? Because it's the best life there is and it leads to eternal salvation. First, we stand out by pursuing Jesus, not worldly desires. We stand out by pursuing Jesus, not our worldly desires. Verses three and four of the chapter say, You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do, so they slander you. The stuff that the chapter is talking about, worldly desires, is what we used to chase and crave when we were slaves to sin. But when you become a follower of Christ, he replaces desire for these things with a desire for himself. Here we can see that part of the suffering that Peter hints at, he says, they slander you. Sometimes our decision to pursue Christ and not empty pleasures will earn a slander from those around us. Maybe, maybe you used to be involved in partying Maybe you're still involved with it. The immorality that the chapter describes is all over the place at Chico State, right? And if you're dealing with slander from others because you've chosen to pursue eternal rewards, I want to encourage you that this is part of what it means to follow Christ. One person whose story applies to this is a girl named Rachel Scott. She was a high school student who took her faith seriously. She wrote journal entries and letters to family, which detail the persecution she went through as she struggled just in high school, not to party with her friends. At one point in her journal, she wrote, Dear God, 
I promise that I will not drink this Friday when I go with Stephanie. This is so tempting. I want to go so bad. Well, I thought about it, as you know, and I thought that since you would forgive me anyways, I might as well do it. Then I realized that you will always, always forgive, but you may not let it go unpunished. Then I decided not to do it strictly out of fear. Then I thought about it more and thought that if I didn't, did it out of fear, it would not be done because I loved you, I obeyed you, and I followed you. That is my reason for not going now. And I know that I will always be faced with temptation, but because I love you, I obey you, and I follow you, and I will not fall into the core of it. Thank you, Father, your child, Rachel. And in a letter to a relative, she wrote, now that I've begun to walk my talk, they make fun of me, and I don't even know what I have done. I don't even have to say anything, they, and they turn me away. I have no more personal friends at school, but you know what? It's worth it. It's all worth it. Maybe, maybe you're going through some of the things that she went through. Maybe you will have to at some point, but in Rachel Scott's words, it's all worth it. We're going to talk more about her a little later. Also, 10 challenge students and staff are headed to East Asia this summer for six weeks. Yeah, that's right. Woo. And so that's awesome. But a lot of them have parents that are unhappy with that decision. In fact, some of those parents are doing a lot to try and convince these students not to go. And I think that, I think this is another form of interpersonal persecution. And there may be a different example in your life of someone causing you suffering or for sticking to your beliefs, the Bible provides us with the apostles' response to persecution. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. As we suffer with Christ and put off our worldly desires, here's the next step, the middle here, living with righteousness. Next, we're living with righteousness. The end of the world is coming soon. First Peter 7 through 8, 4, 7 through 8. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. This section begins with a startling phrase. The end of the world is coming soon. That should get our attention. It injects this whole chapter with just this new sense of urgency. If you knew that the world would end tomorrow, what would you do today? Maybe some people would just choose to plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that verse four talked about. But if you're a follower of Christ and you want to do the will of God, you might as well do the riskiest, righteous thing you can think of, knowing that eternity is just around the corner. So my question is, why don't we live like that? It's because we're too busy fitting in with what the world expects of us. First Peter 4, 7 through 11 encourages us to live righteously through earnest and disciplined prayer, deep love for others, cheerful hospitality, and confident service through spiritual gifts. We struggle to do these things because they're hard and they're risky. What risk are you facing today that you're putting off for the sake of comfort? 
Here's some examples that relate to the points listed in the chapter. Taking time in prayer every day is a risk. It means sacrificing free time in order to ask God about things that you're not even certain he's going to do. But it could mean him answering your prayers, increasing your faith. Loving people enough to share the gospel with them is a risk. If you're here and have been changed from the inside out by God's love, then it only follows that you should share that love with others. But it could mean facing rejection from those around you. Are you willing to take that risk? Choosing to be hospitable and meet people's practical needs is a risk. I know it's hard for us to give up material things when we feel broke, when we are broke, but take time to think about how you can give to those around you in a sacrificial way. And then serving God a challenge or church is a risk. Once again, it means giving away your time to help with something that you won't be compensated for necessarily, but the reward of contributing to eternity outweighs, far outweighs the momentary loss of time and energy. Let's face it. Are you really happy when you're at your most comfortable? Have you experienced the thrill of doing something outside of your comfort zone? We stand out by pursuing fearless discipleship not maximum comfort. We stand out by pursuing fearless discipleship, not maximum comfort. The final slice of this, the the end of the sandwich here is suffering with joy. Suffering with joy is the, the last ingredient here. We suffer with Jesus, we live with righteousness, and we suffer with joy. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Have you ever been surprised by the suffering you're going through? Have you ever wondered out loud, why is this happening to me? <laughs> I have, <laughs> aloud. <laughs> and Peter's telling us to cut it out. <laughs> why? Let's go back to the beginning. God is sovereign. And all the suffering that we experience is part of his divine plan for us. Nothing is out of his control. Many people are swept up by an idea called the prosperity gospel. This this ideology states that if we're truly following Christ, then we'll experience only good things. Health, wealth, prosperity. And the problem with this philosophy is that it flies in the face of so many things that the Bible says. Take Jesus' word for it. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He says we will. We will have tribulation, suffering. But he has overcome the world, meaning he is in control. 
Picture the main hard thing you're going through right now. God is allowing this hard thing to happen to you for your own benefit. James 1, 2, 3, 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials create steadfastness. Steadfastness creates spiritual completeness that benefits you. Most importantly, it benefits your eternity. Have you ever thought about being a missionary? Maybe that's a pretty big leap from where you're at right now, but I want you to consider the weight of sacrificing everything for the joy of sharing Christ in a dangerous place and possibly dying as a result of that dangerous place and joining our Savior in heaven never to suffer again. Adoniram Judson, I have a picture of him, was a missionary back in the 1800s. Anybody here named Adoniram? Got one in the back. Just kidding. He was America's first foreign missionary. He was sent to Burma, now known as Myanmar. I can't do his life justice right now, but we'll post a link to his story in the Challenge Facebook page. In the meantime, I'm going to tell you some important details. He was a guy who was ready to suffer along with Christ. He was already planning to move overseas when he met a woman named Anne. They got to know each other, and when he decided he wanted to marry her, he wrote this letter to her father. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly throne and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, the crown of righteousness, frightened by the acclamations of praise which start resound to her savior from the heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Adoniram was willing to grapple with the, re, the, with the gravity of death that casts in right perspective the reality of eternity which we all are headed toward. He married Anne. They sailed for foreign shores 14 days after they got married. The two of them suffered much together, including his wrongful imprisonment for 17 agonizing months. After 14 years of service together, Anne died. Judson married again, and they ministered together until she died 11 years later. He married once more, and she, out, she managed to outlive him. But between these three women, he had three, th 13 children. Seven of them died before adulthood. Adoniram himself died from a vicious lung disease at 61 years old. These events combined with hostility toward the gospel, constant sickness, and mental anguish that made the life of Adoniram Judson a brutal one. This is what he had to say about it. 
if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. It is not random. Every additional trial has been ordered by the infinite love and mercy of God. Let that fact comfort you as it comforted Judson. His story is inspiring and it may feel a little out of reach compared to our normal lives right now. A more relatable example is in Rachel Scott, the high school student who we talked about earlier. Through her writings, we've seen her struggle with peer pressure, but other journal entries reveal her ongoing determination to sacrifice all for the sake of making a God-glorifying impact. She writes, These hands belong to Rachel Joyce Scott and will someday touch millions of people's hearts. And I am not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. On April 20th, 1999, Rachel Scott was the first victim to be shot and killed in the Columbine High School massacre, which claimed the lives of 15 students and teachers. It's said that she was approached by the shooters and asked whether she believed in God. She said yes and was killed on the spot. Before she died, Rachel had already decided that her life and death were going to mean something. She was going to stand out. The day-to-day choices she made paint a beautiful picture of what a life dedicated to Jesus looks like, even if it is cut short. If you're a follower of Christ, I hope that this time tonight has been challenging and encouraging. I want us all, myself included, to grow in this joyful pursuit of God, pursuit of God's will for us, no matter the cost or risk. If you're not a follower of Christ, I hope that this has been insightful as you're going about your spiritual journey. Check out the scriptures and these handouts and really consider what's stopping you from shedding the weight, the weight of, of sin and struggle. What's stopping you from committing to the one worth living and dying for? Peter encourages us with one final statement for this chapter. He says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, Keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everybody here. Thank you for your word and for the encouragement of it. Thank you for past examples in the Bible and in in our times, Lord, of people that chose to stand up for you I pray that we will take these things to heart and decide tonight what we're going to do about that so that our lives can count for something and our deaths can count for something and that it would all be a glorifying thing to you as we, as we look to you as our comfort, as our joy. Thank you, Father, in your name, amen.